Good morning and welcome to Crescent Church Online. I trust that you and your household are all well and as we gather today, our prayer is that you are ready to learn and to, to worship and to connect in this way with the church family. No matter where and when you are joining us, you are most welcome. One of the things that has become a habit in these unusual times is clapping for the NHS workers every Thursday night, acknowledging the good work that they're all doing. There's all sorts of noises from the foghorns at the docks, the pots and pans, and one of our neighbours even rings a big bell ever so enthusiastically. And rightly so, we have much to celebrate in the health workers' approach to this pandemic. We're going to devote some time later in this service to commit them all to the Lord in prayer. But we're also going to make a noise remotely, singing praise from our own homes, some uh, probably better at it than others. Making a joyful noise in gratitude isn't a new thing. In ancient times, the psalmist encouraged his people to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's from Psalm 100. In the midst of this crisis and the concerns about the coronavirus, we still have so much to be thankful for. Let's start our time together by thanking God directly for his goodness, for this opportunity to meet together and for the, the hope that we have in him for better days in this life and beyond. Let's pray. Our loving God and heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of our praise. We thank you for your goodness to each one of us, for blessing us in the small things, the bird song, the clear starry nights, the signs of new life in our gardens. And in this unique time of separation and of restriction, we thank you for your word that encourages us, for our church family who are going out of their way to support each other, and for your spirit in us that comforts and strengthens us. And as we meet today, bless all families who will listen to this service. Be to them a shepherd who protects and guides and walks alongside. We think of the young children with such energy and their parents as they care for them. The teenagers and young adults as they adjust to a whole new set of circumstances. For those who are alone and the many who are working in a very different way, help us all, Lord, to trust in you each and every day to put on the full armour of God and to be prepared to give a reason for the hope we have in you. Most especially, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who suffered for us, who set us an example for how to live in difficult times and who treats us with grace and compassion. Bless our time together. Amen. I want to remind you of what's happening uh, this week for everyone at Crescent. Uh, tonight, that Sunday night, we'll meet uh, for prayer at 7 o'clock on Zoom. And then the women will meet on uh, Monday and Wednesdays for Bible study. And then on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we'll be meeting for our church prayer meeting and connecting with Pranesh and Heather in South Africa and considering all the needs of our missionaries around the world. It'd be great if you could uh, jump into, jump onto, whatever, uh, Zoom and, uh, and encourage our missionaries by your interest and prayers. And as we move further into lockdown, the elders are keen that we have an opportunity to share communion together. We can't do this together in one place, but we can still meet at one time through Zoom conferencing. So from next Sunday at 10 a.m., we will gather to have a structured time with a short thought, a prayer, a hymn, and we will partake of the bread and wine in our own homes. Details will be sent later in the week. 
But now, let's all join uh, Rachel in singing Counting on God. And following that, Gareth will lead us in prayer. For the next few weeks, we will pray for different groups of our church family who are experiencing the pandemic in, and the lockdown in different ways. And today we'll be focusing on the health and social care workers. Every hour of every day, tens of thousands of healthcare workers provide care and treatment for us and our families in the NHS in Northern Ireland. In Crescent Church, we're very privileged to have frontline workers working as nurses, occupational therapists, radiographers, dietitians and doctors who provide frontline care and treatment and are supported by vital workers in logistics, IT, domestic services, patient transport and management, and without whom the NHS could not function as it does. We need to pray for these workers for both their physical and mental safety, but also that they would have access to the right equipment. 
they would be able to make good clinical decisions and work together as part of a team. Our Lord Jesus Christ taught that the sick needed a physician. He arranged the social support for his own mother after his death, and he reached out and touched those with leprosy, rejected by society. He gave them physical healing and brought them into God's kingdom through forgiveness of sin and giving new spiritual life to them. So let us pray to God our Father on behalf of all who work and support the NHS. Father God, our Creator who gives all people life and breath, who heals and forgives us and brings wholeness and peace to our bodies and minds, we confess our utter dependence on you at this time. We thank you for all those working in the NHS who care for us from life's beginning until its end. We ask you to be so very near them and keep them safe, free from harm and able to give of their best to look after us when we need them most. We pray for those of your believing people who work in healthcare that they will daily show the compassion of Christ to patients and relatives. Help them to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in their acts of kindness, in attending to details of treatment and in making good decisions, and also in the way in which they positively work with colleagues. Bring hope and forgiveness and salvation to all who call upon you at this time who are facing death. Give them ease of breathlessness and anxiety and pain. Grant them a clear knowledge of the forgiveness and eternal life that they can have by trusting in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. We ask for the Holy Spirit to comfort those who have been bereaved and are grieving. We pray for those not able to say goodbye or to hold the hand or kiss the forehead of a dying relative. We ask you would give them an especial blessing and consolation at this time through the words and spiritual presence of your Son. We pray for those who make decisions in our government, our Department of Health, in the health trusts and GP federations in the province, that they will be guided by wisdom, accurate information and a concern to save lives. We pray that our society will value and heed their authority and expertise and that we will see a rapid fall in those with COVID infection. We offer these prayers to you and ask that your will be done, that your kingdom come on earth as we look to the return of your son. As we look forward to the hope of the resurrection of the dead and for every tear to be wiped away by you, our God, on the last day. We humbly offer these prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Gareth. Gareth has also put together the next song with the help of a few of our regular singers. And we'll all sing, I heard the voice of Jesus say. And after that, Sharon will bring our reading, our Bible reading, taken from the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a new teaching series uh, looking at the disciple Peter's first letter to those Christians who were undergoing various trials at that time. I heard the voice of Jesus
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We're going to sing again before Tim Graham starts our series on First Peter. Tim is a businessman with a, a young family and he's a regular Bible teacher at Crescent. The song, There Is A Hope, by Stuart Townend reminds us that we can live by faith on the solid and certain hope that Christ gives us. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let's comfort and strengthen ourselves as we sing these words.
Well, uh, good morning. Let me add my welcome to that of Will's. Um, it's a privilege to be opening up this series in 1 Peter this morning. My name's Tim. I'm one of the members here at Crescent Church. Uh, I'm less excited about the fact I'm still stuck in quarantine, uh, having to record this from my living room. Uh, as good a job as the techies have done in keeping us all connected, um, we are sad not to be meeting together uh, just yet. Uh, but we trust God that as we turn uh, to this little book of Peter uh, that Sharon has read to us, that we will hear his voice uh, and it will strengthen and encourage us in these strange and difficult times. But uh, I want to ask the question as we start, what do you do when you feel like it's too much? You want to pack it all in. Maybe particularly the life of faith, following Jesus. You, you feel like maybe it would just be easier if I could forget it and go back to an easier time. That is how some of Peter's first recipients who received this letter would have felt. There was pressure, there was struggle. And in fact, the challenge for these Christians was that grace and, 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 and starting to follow Jesus Christ, although a source of great joy and comfort, had actually made their lives a lot more difficult. The suffering and the, the pressure that they're is, experiencing is, is evident. Peter mentions it multiple times in each chapter, and, and we'll see it as we go through. In chapter 1, various trials. Chapter 2, unjust suffering. Chapter 3, suffering for what is right. Chapter 4, he talks about painful trials and, and, and being insulted for the name of Jesus. And in chapter 5, he talks about suffering across the whole church. And although it may not yet at this time, when Peter was writing, have been in the most extreme forms of martyrdom. They're being marginalized and, and relationships have become, certain relationships have become strained. The threat of danger is growing and no doubt some were asking, is it worth it? How do we keep going? Can following Jesus be worth it if it's so hard? And if it is right and true, that Jesus is Lord and Christ, then how come we're in such a minority and so many people in the mainstream just seem to reject it? It's into that context uh, and to these Christians that Peter writes this letter to give understanding and strength and hope. Now, as we embark on this study over the next eight weeks, we have to be honest, we're in a society that is maybe a lot more comfortable with Christianity, where we have remarkable freedom and security although temporarily in your own home and garden, of course. But millions of our brothers and sisters who are scattered in other countries around the world are in fear of their jobs, their homes, their, their lives even, because they have chosen to follow Christ. And in fact, COVID-19, if anything, has maybe given some of us a, a taste of, of maybe just something of what that's like to, 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 to live with restrictions and to live under threat and even daily danger. But... By and large, for us, believing in the Lord Jesus does not put our lives in jeopardy or risk our homes and freedom. But that said, you'd be naive not to notice that there has been an increasing pressure put on Christianity in our contemporary society. Over the last 20 years or so, since 9-11, it's become more popular to think to have a strong belief, especially a religious belief, is in fact dangerous. And it's becoming more and more the consensus, it seems, that Christian, Christians are intolerant, small-minded. Traditional convictions on the biblical definition of marriage or the value of the onborn life are seen as backward and unwelcomed in a modern society, a hindrance to progress. And surely if things broadly continue as they are, then things will get harder. Pressure is going to rise. How will it be in five 10 years or even for our children and how then will we cope that is what first peter is going to help us with and in the in the letter peter is also going to show us that the challenges that we face they aren't just the pressure from the outside but they go hand in hand with the the temptation then that's in here often the heart of the problem is still the problem of the heart and when it's hard and the pressure comes am i willing to suffer the consequences of following Jesus. It is often the case, isn't it, that our, our sin is, is motiva motivated by a, a desire to avoid suffering or, or loss. It's much easier to lean into those unfulfilled desires, 
to take the opportunity for glory and gratification now than look to the glory and honor that's being kept in eternity future. I want it. I, I won't live without it. I can't suffer the loss. But there is a cost to being different. Loyalty to Jesus Christ will create differences that will be noticeable in our values, in our families, and Peter says even at times in our fashion sense. And it will, in some cases, be uncomfortable and isolating. We all know now (laughs) how uncomfortable it can be when we're isolated. Are we ready for the challenge of unpopularity? And when we feel the the tug of temptation to retreat and throw in the towel, are we prepared to stand firm when we feel that increasing pressure and temptation? To be God's people in a society that is not his, to belong to Jesus Christ when the devil is seeking to have you and devour you, that is why we desperately need one Peter. In this letter, he will equip us to stand firm Just before we dive into the first 12 verses of chapter 1, it is good, isn't it, that God has given us Peter to teach us this. We learn so much about the man in scripture. Uh, We learned about him last week in John chapter 21. Who knows better the ups and downs of following Jesus than Peter? Imagine trying to prepare a younger Peter for the path of suffering as he is doing to us now. Remember when he rejected Jesus after his own prophecy about the Messiah's suffering. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Peter used to think with satanic motivation how far he has come now as he sits down to pen this letter, an old Christian elder in Rome. And he could see the the way the winds of society and politics were, were blowing. And he wants to strengthen the family of God as they come on behind him that we may stand firm in the true grace of God. So let's jump into this book. Let's jump into these initial 12 verses this morning. I'm going to divide these 12 verses into three. Uh, Verses one to five, we're going to look at God's saving work in the past and for our future. We belong to God and have a sure and glorious hope. Then six to nine, God's saving work in our present. Current temporary suffering refines our faith for eternity. And then finally and briefly, verses 10 to 12, the word of God assures us that this is God's salvation plan. So firstly then, verses 1 to 5, if you have a Bible, please do keep it open. We belong to God and have a sure and glorious hope. Well, Peter wastes no time in getting to work. And in his initial greeting, he first and foremost wants us to know who precisely we are. And he sets about strengthening us to stand firm. He says, we are the exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. First and foremost, a Christian's identity is grounded in the work of God, Father, Spirit, and Son. Did you notice that all three are mentioned, all three persons of the Godhead working towards one unified goal for you, that we would belong to him. We are God's people. The initiative, first and foremost, was God's. It was his eternal plan that has called us to belong to the church. And even before we were aware of it, our loving Heavenly Father has purposefully planned our salvation. The Spirit is on site within us, teaching us truth and convicting us of God's love and setting us apart for God. And the Son, just like in the Old Testament, the people were sprinkled with the blood of animals, so much greater, we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ to be brought into union and fellowship and relationship with God. That is who you are. Through the work of the Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son, we belong to God. We are his. So Paul, uh, Peter says, in terms of this world, he calls us exiles. Wherever we are in this world, wherever we have an address, we are foreigners. 
You might be born and bred Northern Ireland, but this isn't your home home. Of course we don't belong here if we belong to God. The fact Peter lifts the language used of the Jewish nation that's been scattered from Palestine across the Greco-Roman Empire and says we too, the New Testament people of God, it's as if we've been scattered far from our home, not a, a, a land in Palestine, but from our heavenly home. So we're the elect exiles of the dispersion. So sure, you have a, an address in Galatia or Bithynia, he says, or you're locked down in Tate's Avenue or Ballyhackamore. But actually, your home is with God. We're just passing through. We're here for a short while. And if we don't belong here, then we might not have the full status that the locals have. We might not get the full rights and privileges. But that's okay. Because we're exiles and heaven is our home. Our identity is in God, Father, Spirit, Son and his salvation. And it's this profound fact that Peter puts right here in the greeting that will be the foundation for everything he's going to teach and expound in this book. First and foremost, we must know who we are. We belong to God. And after his initial greeting, then how will Peter start this letter? Verses 3 through 12. In the original, it was actually one very long sentence. And uh, perhaps if it was me and I was writing a letter to those who were under pressure and really finding things quite difficult, then I'd maybe try and start with um, some empathy. Uh, I am honestly working on that. Uh, but, you know, you guys are feeling the pressure. Yeah, me too. Um, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I know it's hard too. And I, 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 you feel like that. I feel like that too. It's nice to be in this together. Or, or maybe even a, a prayer for their protection or security, or instruction, or encouragement and exhortation. And yes, that will come. He will give us clear exhortations. But first and foremost, that's not where he starts. He starts in verse number three with this huge sentence of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's not really telling us to do anything. He's expounding the greatness of God, and he's inviting us to join him in praise Praise be to God. This is what he has done. This is what he is doing. This is what he will most surely do. I just think about that for a moment. How healthy it is for us to lift our hearts and our minds from the circumstances and consider the blessedness, the wonder of the God to whom we belong. I know in the midst of difficulty, it can sound like jargon or for some of us it can sound like abstract words or familiar religious language but Peter knows that, that if we're going to be able to cope if we're going to be able to flourish then we have to deeply consider the wonder of God's work in our salvation and so he starts in verse number three blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again I wonder if you can think back to what changed for you when you were born. What an experience that was. It's a shame we can't remember. But you went from being this bump that was hidden from the world to being this baby. And you were named Margaret or wee Sammy. And you received an identity and a personality and a nationality. And all of this potential just came into life. And Peter says that's the picture that that the best explains the momentous shift that has happened in your life again a second time. Due to God's incredible mercy, you, even you, have had a second birth and had that experience all over again, a new name, a new identity, a new citizenship, new potential, new heavenly life. And this new birth has brought us into two things, a living hope and a future inheritance in verse number four. Our new hope is living because it's a hope in a living person, Jesus Christ. And that means our confidence in the future is solid because it's grounded in the historic reality of the past, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter says. So our future expectation is guaranteed by what has already happened. 
So Jesus doesn't just saddle up beside us and say, hope in me, let's stick at this together. I'm pretty sure I can handle what comes. No, he points to the empty grave, the neatly folded grave clothes and says, look here, I've defeated death. I have overcome. Now put your hand in mine and hope in me. What a living hope we have in Jesus. It doesn't take much to make us feel hopeless, does it? How often over the last month have we felt helpless, victim and facing forces outside of ourselves? How often have you read the headlines or heard the horror stories or just felt out of control? Or maybe for you it's a myriad of other things that isn't in the news and not many people know about. How can we stand firm? How can we not lose our way? Well, Peter wants us to grasp that whatever the twists and turns along the way, we have been born again and we belong to the new world, brought by the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And in his resurrection, we see not only that death is not the end, but we see that all things are subject to him. So when other forces flash their power and we fall victim or are impacted by them, we know that our hope alone is in him, the living Lord of all. Incidentally, in chapter three, Peter's going to say that we have to be ready to talk about this because if we live life like we have a living hope in a resurrected Jesus Christ, then people are going to have questions for us. So praise God, firstly, for our living hope, but secondly, for our eternal inheritance. In verse number four, Peter again echoes the great themes of the Old Testament people of God who were brought out of Egypt and brought into an inheritance in the promised land. We too, with this new life, have been set on course for an inheritance. But unlike the promised land, which the prophets declared that the people of, of Israel had defiled by their sin, which was ravaged by the, the world's superpowers for years and ultimately taken from them, God has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. I find great comfort in thinking through this lovely description, imperishable. If there's ever a time that we don't have to be reminded, the, fragility, the fragility and the uncertainty of our future, investments, pensions, whatever it might be, it's now. But what God is keeping for you is completely unaffected by COVID-19's impact on the global economy. It's completely impervious to destruction imperishable it's undefiled i wonder if you've ever been confronted by your ability to spoil things maybe you could ask someone in your lockdown house i don't know maybe it's your temper your selfishness your childishness or paranoia but our eternal inheritance is even safe from us messing it up we have an inheritance that we cannot contaminate or spoil it's undefiled and it's unfading. The relentless march of time may make the elderly more vulnerable here and now, but the passing of time will not ravage or decay or damage the inheritance that God has kept firm for us. It doesn't fade. Our better eternal inheritance is being kept in heaven, Peter says in verse number four. And that seems like a good spot for safekeeping. But that's not enough. We also, as we travel from this moment of our new birth to the living hope and inheritance that we have, we're being continually guarded by God's power, Peter says in verse number five. It's one thing to be the royal heir to the throne and have this great and wondrous future. But it's quite another if that puts a target on your back or it invites enemies and you never make it to that inheritance. But God did not go to all this effort to let us slip on the way or lose our way on the journey. He gives us the full royal protection detail as we are guarded all the way to the end. 
when the full and final salvation of all things will be revealed, we will be standing in faith by Christ. Which leads us to our, our second point, God's saving work in the present, verses 6 to 9. The point here is that current temporary suffering refines our faith for eternal value. So far, it's it's been good news. It's been something that God's done in the past, things that he will surely do in the future. We have much to rejoice in and continue in praise. But how do we make sense of the now? The huge variety of trials and challenges. Is God's salvation on pause until he comes again? What is he doing now? Well, Peter says in verse number six, in the here and now, it may be necessary that we experience various trials. But in the hands of God, these two are serving to build into our glorious future. And in order to explain how this can be, Peter uses the picture of a goldsmith working to purify a lump of gold ore. As he starts to, to purify it, he, he takes this big chunk of, chunk of gear and puts it into the, the crucible and puts it into the heart of the flame. And as the heat intensifies over time, the scum and the composite materials that are polluting the, the, the pure gold in the ore are, are, are risen to the top and separated and removed. And over time, ultimately what's left can, can actually seem quite small. So much of it perishes in the process. But the result is far more valuable because you're left with the genuine precious metal. We are very ore-like. We have inbuilt weaknesses. We have contaminants, imperfections. And our faith in particular can be a real composite mixture of pure gold and dross and scum. Often it's, it's robbed of its beauty, even its strength, because of the imperfections and the inevitable junk that is mixed up with it and parades as faith. God cannot be faithful to us and leave our faith as a drossy ore. Peter says, there will be, there may be times when you feel the flame. It will hurt. It can be severe. But as the divine goldsmith watches the fire, not a single gram of pure gold will be damaged. He will let the fire burn to rescue our faith from the junk that it's mixed with. How real was this for Peter? Many things went off the rails for Peter when he felt the, pre the, the pressure the night of Jesus' crucifixion. His boldness and his zeal evaporated. His honesty and reputation gone. These hairline cracks became gaping holes. And shortly after, he must have thought, what tatters my faith is in. But his faith did not fail. Jesus said only hours before he denied him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. No, his faith didn't fail. But surely that night made Peter more aware of the weaknesses that were under the bonnet of his faith. As Peter reflected, he was forced to ask how much of my faith previously was mixed up with my natural boldness and my brass personality? How much of my vocal support for the Lord was a desire to lead and be the big voice in the room? How quickly that evaporated when he was on his own. But he was undergoing the work of the divine goldsmith, purifying and refining his faith. And so too with us, God will take us to places we do not want to go because he knows our faith is valuable and worth it. And how much of our faith has impurities and weaknesses? How much of our Christianity is a, a response to social pressure or the desire to be in a certain crowd? How much of it is a desire to please our parents? How much of it is a package deal? We'll have it as long as these other conditions are, are attached. So it may hurt when you feel the chisel. But that's not a moment to despair or retreat. It will take some reprogramming. We instinctively might question God, but 
we must know that it is evidence that God is taking our faith seriously and that he can and he will transform us so that we're equipped and we're ready to share the full glory that awaits when Jesus Christ comes again. So Peter reminds us that although we haven't yet seen Jesus, we love him and we believe him, knowing that this is a blessing and it adds to our future glory. God is making you a person fit for a grand, glorious inheritance. And he is working to save and redeem the gold of your life. And what is most valuable, what is most vital, is that we are joined to Christ by faith for eternity. The Lord hasn't come yet. He hasn't come back yet. And one of the reasons for this is this critical step in our salvation. We are learning to love and trust even when we're exiles, even when we're far from home and in a hostile world. So there will be moments of grief, moments of loss, moments of pain and weakness. But when we grasp what God is doing to build into our salvation, there is a deep fountain of joy. And when Jesus does appear in power and majesty, we'll be out the other end. And what we will receive, the outcome of this process, is precious beyond measure. So Peter in his word of praise, helps us understand not only what God has done, what waits for us in the future, but what God is doing. God will take us to places we don't want to go, but the present is still part of his salvation. And this is true grace for us to stand firm in. Finally, and briefly, uh, verse 10, 11, and 12. The word of God assures us that this is God's salvation. Peter knows that at times it might seem harder for those of us who weren't there with Jesus. We're tempted to say, you know, Peter, it's easier for you to stay steadfast. You had so much time with Jesus. Although, to be fair, he still got it so wrong, even when he was with him. It was only moments after he had had the vision of Jesus Christ transfigured on the mount that the Lord had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter must have thought back, how dumb, oh, back in those days, in the midst of the actual experience, that I thought I could tell Jesus what was the best plan for him. Peter knows that actually now we have something more reliable than experience. In order to be assured of God's salvation plan, we have the written word of God. He refers to in verse number 10. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, clearly set out what grace would look like. And now the message of the gospel has come and we can start to see more fully all the preparation and promises and prophecies of God and how they've been working together over centuries across the globe through human history to bring us to this point where Jesus the Christ would come and he would suffer and then enter into his glory. That was always the plan and the pattern of God's salvation. So suffering is not a, a thing going wrong, but it's exactly what was predicted in God's plan. God was not out of control when Jesus hung battered and bruised on the cross. That wasn't off script. So we can be sure that he's not out of control in the midst of our seemingly haphazard and painful experiences as we go through this journey. As I close, this uh, quote of Tim Keller's popped up in my social media last night. Christianity teaches that contra to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra to Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra to karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it and a faced rightly it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can currently imagine. There is a purpose to it. It can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God, into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. So we belong to God 
and have a secure and glorious future. Current temporal suffering develops our faith for eternal value. And the word of God assures us that this is God's salvation. This is the plan. Let's just take a moment to conclude our time with prayer. Father, we praise you for your greatness, for the great plan of salvation, what you have done, what you will do, what you are doing even now in the midst of our circumstances and experiences. We pray that the the truth packed in this small letter as we consider and study it over the next number of weeks would radically shape the way we go about our daily lives. May we be more faithful in following Jesus, the ultimate exile, even in his rejection, that we may one day enjoy joining him in his abundant glory. So we pray that your word would do its good work in us as we commit ourselves to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to finish with a, a hymn. Uh, a modern classic, City of Lights, yet not I, but through Christ in me. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no Steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace.